0: And today we are dishing with registered dietitian nutritionist, Claire Tuning about her private consulting business that focuses on intuitive eating and her decision to be a weight-inclusive dietitian with the view that we can have health at every size. But first, as always, Nicole, what's up?
1: Uh, Yeah. I am in a much better place this week than last. Last week, I you know I play hockey Saturday, Sunday nights, and I usually don't do it. I just wash my hair and fall into bed and <laughs> hope for the best in the morning as far as what my head's going to look like, and it it never goes well. Um, so I quickly threw like a braid in it, and it it didn't look so hot. But I ran off to work, and I'm sitting at my desk at eleven fifteen that morning, and I get a. um urgent email pop in from marketing. And it's like, hey, uh, the news is on their way up from Mishawaka. Are you available for an interview? And I was like, what? Um, and I run to the bathroom and I'm looking in the mirror going, e- th- this is this is a lost cause. I mean, <laughs> I have no tools. I have no heat. I'm like, all right, we're going to roll with this. Like, It's fine. Nobody's going to watch the news. Um, and so they <laughs> interviewed me uh, right outside my office, which was great. They chose... The lamest quote ever of the five or it was like ten minutes maybe of content they had. Of course, uh, it, I hate that. Um, yes, but it was cool. I've never been on the news before, and a couple people that week like came up to me and they were like, "I saw you on the news." Actually, a patient I had seen that morning called me in the afternoon and said you didn't tell me you were going to, she like reamed me out. It was so funny. I was like, I didn't know that I was going to be on the news when you were here this morning. It it all happened so quickly. Um, so that was Monday I was on the news and then Thursday was my big, um, continuing medical education presentation. And so that was to an unknown number of medical providers within our health system, which our health mm-hmm. system is like 34,000 people. Um, Dang. yeah. So I don't know how big the reach was there. Uh, but I was all good. I, you know, I told you I had been practicing, which is so unlike me, Mm -hmm. um, the control our control episode that, which is wildly popular. If anyone's looking to listen to one of our more popular episodes, uh, that episode is hotcakes right now. And Uh I started practicing and then I was all good until like 11 AM. Our presentation was at noon. And then the doctor who runs like the residency and ER and this big, amazing, like this attractive (laughs) successful doctor goes to shake my hand to like welcome us. And he was so nice. And I just, my palms were like drenched. I was Uh so embarrassed. He probably gets that a lot because it's, it is, it is, yeah, it's all, it's intense. Uh, But the presentation went really good. Um, Both of my bosses were there. It it was great. It was like, oh, okay, done. awesome. Um, And then I moved on. I played hockey this weekend. I played three games within 16 hours, had a bit of a break. And then I had uh, my last game on Sunday. It was, and we got killed we lost 11 to 0 oh, oh, um, on friday night and then we turned around we didn't leave the rink until like eleven thirty, 30 and it's not appropriate to say where we went but you can use your imagination a bunch of guys mm-hmm. and me mm, yep so um oh. uh <laughs> yeah got it <laughs> got it um, <laughs> in case little people are around and uh you know Good times, good times. And sure. uh behaved myself pretty well. Is it, it, you know, I wasn't rough in the morning or anything. Not enough sleep, but was just fine, ready for of the eight course. o'clock game. Uh my my teammates could not say the same, many of them. Uh so that was rough. Mm-hmm. We lost like nine <laughs> to two, something along those lines, maybe eight to two. Not quite as bad. <laughs> not quite as bad. Um, and then <laughs> we had a couple hours break and another game, and we lost, I don't know, like nine to two. I don't know, something horrible. Okay, so we did hmm. not proceed to play on Sunday. Um, it was it was rough. Um, uh, but my legs and hips hurt in places that I didn't know possible. Um, oh, geez. yeah. So I'm taking I'm taking today off from exercise. Today's it's Monday evening. So
0: was that the four Advil that you showed in one of your Instagram stories?
1: It was ibuprofen, and yes,
0: yeah, yes, that's Advil. Advil ibuprofen. What is? Yeah, they're the same thing. Oh, ibuprofen is like the. Um, the the non brand name of Advil.
1: Oh, I just always call it ibuprofen. The
0: generic, okay. yeah, an
1: an anti inflammatory. Yes, correct. That's yeah. So mm-hmm. I took like eight hundred. It wasn't just one yeah, dose. One that's fine. I mean, four doses of totaling eight hundred one time. I think yeah, eight hundred <laughs> is
0: pretty much the max. But yes, that's fine.
1: Um, yeah. we're not judging you. I needed it. It it was a need. It wasn't a want <laughs> at that stage. I was like, okay, one more game for the weekend. Uh, what's going on in Columbus, G? Yeah, well, first I want to
0: give a shout out to all of our new listeners from the Girl Next Door podcast. I I don't know if I've ever told you this, Nicole, but I started listening to the Girl Next Door podcast randomly. They are two, first of all, real quick, they are two um, ladies about, I would say, our age. Yeah. Uh, they each have two kids and they live in Arizona. And, you know, they have this podcast. I don't even, and it doesn't even, they don't necessarily have a, a specialty. They're not dieticians. They're not- you know chefs they're not you know they're stay-at-home moms but they are just so smart and so witty and they just speak so well and they work so well together and they also have their have a lot of gigs going on on the side so i shouldn't say they're just stay-at-home moms because first of all that's a full-time job in itself but they don't they don't have a, a job that they necessarily go to they podcast they do a lot of writing and they're just very calm to listen to And they're funny. And I just really love sitting down and listening to their podcast. And I kind of got hooked on it one, two summers ago. And I literally binged through every single episode. And I know they have a following. They have a lot of listeners. Mm -hmm. And they were very nice to give us a shout out a couple episodes ago. Um, But they are really who I think inspired me to want to start a podcast. Um, So thank you to them. And thank you to all of our new listeners from them. Um, But if you don't listen to them... Go check them out because they are just their topics range from, you know, their favorite new books to relationships, to um, uh, getting prepared for a new baby. I, I'm there's so many different topics. They've had a podcast for, I think, four years, but they just have a range of topics and they're just always very delightful to listen to. Anyway, thank you to them. Thank you to our new listeners. Yep. Anyway, my my recap or what's been going on with me real quick. Has anyone because I'm I'm looking for hands here. Lost in (laughs) Space is my new obsession on Netflix. I watched the first season. I think it came out maybe two years ago. Maybe a year ago, actually. It hasn't been two years. I I guess I'm a sci-fi nerd. I would never have said that about myself, you know, five years ago. But since I started dating Nick, I have watched now and been obsessed with two sci-fi shows. The first one was Fringe. It was on Fox. Very few people have heard of this show, but I'm telling you, it was so good with Joshua Jackson. One of the best shows I've ever ever seen, very sci-fi-y, and now Lost in Space. Also, one of my favorite movies is Independence Day, (laughs) another Mm -hmm. sci-fi movie, kind of, I guess. But anyway, Lost in Space on Netflix, I'm obsessed with, so I've been binge-watching the second season uh, lately. So that's that. We're almost done with our uh, Christmas puzzle, (laughs) our (laughs) 1,000-piece Christmas puzzle that we started one week before Christmas, and we are almost finished with that. It's been a lot of fun doing that. We decided that we're going to make that kind of a new tradition. Is get a new holiday puzzle every time around this time, and maybe not one thousand pieces though, because this one is taken forever. But so much fun! A big deal here is that C- Cameron started preschool. He started it last week. I know I mentioned this on our last podcast, but we recorded the last one a little bit ahead of time. But he re- he started the first um, week in-, in January, and you know he is just the cutest little thing. He definitely cries every single time I drop him off, Aww. but I'm very thankful that. N- or Paige's kindergarten room is right adjacent to his preschool. So when I drop them off, she stays with him for like the first five minutes while I leave. So he gets his little tears out and hugs me and clings to me. And then he goes straight to her and clings to her. And then she slowly nudges her way outside into her kindergarten classroom. And it's just the sweetest thing. Uh, But the big thing is, is that they don't have, they don't allow peanuts in the classroom, which I was not used to. Uh, especially, again, because he's my choosy eater. Really, one of the only things I know he will eat um, without fail is PB&J. So I've been trying to get him used to sun butter, and so far it has been successful. So I was doing half and half at home for a while, and I have sent him with a sun butter sandwich with jelly the last couple days, and he's actually eaten it. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, and then lastly, real quick,, uh, I don't know if anyone who's listening has had this issue before, but i why did I go? I went into my doctor. I've mentioned this on the podcast before about how the four days after I ovulate, I cannot sleep. like, like I'm on crack. like literally i've i I am wired. I don't drink any coffee. um, but yet i am I am full of energy which you know you might think is a good thing but it's a bad thing when you can't then sleep at night. So I went to my OBGYN about this thinking maybe my progesterone just drops too low and I need more. He decided to test my blood. He thought maybe I had hyperthyroidism, which you can you can do your own research on it, but I won't go into it. It turns out my thyroid stimulating hormone, my TSH came back high. It was it was about 5.7. It's not supposed to be anything greater than four. So he decided to put me on Synthroid. Well, here I am thinking, you know, before he tested my blood, he said to me, I think you might be have hyperthyroidism. My numbers come back showing that I'm hypo. I have none of the symptoms of hypothyroidism, literally zero. And he didn't question it. So he didn't directly test my my thyroid. He indirectly He indirectly tested it with my TSH which I won't go into detail about that, but it was an indirect test that usually indicates whether you have hyperthyroidism or not. So he said I have hypothyroidism, hypo meaning it's low. So he put me on Synthroid, which is a synthetic form of the thyroid hormone. I'm nervous to take this, but I'm like, okay, if that's what the doctor says, I guess I'll do it. I take the Synthroid. About seven hours later, Nicole, I am not even kidding. My heart, feels like it's beating out of my chest. Like I felt like I was going to die. So I'm sitting there eating my lunch and I could see my heart like racing. Like I can see my, you know, my chest just beating. And so of course I look at my, at my watch and I'm, I'm looking at my heart rate. It doesn't go over a hundred, but it goes from like 60 to 85 and then it goes back down. And then five minutes later it does the same thing. And then I'm starting to get paranoid and kind of have like a little bit of a panic attack. And so I call the doctor and I'm like, is this normal? And the doctor's like, yeah, some people experience that. It should go away after a couple of days. I'm like, okay. Well, it kept happening throughout the day to the point where I was just like, I I cannot take this. I, I refuse to take the Synthroid medicine. So I'm just curious if any of our listeners have had this experience before. I'm actually going to make an appointment. I have made an appointment with an endocrinologist. It's finally, I made it forever ago for my A1C. Now I'm going to ask him or her, I don't even know, if I should take this Synthroid or if my uh, thyroid levels are actually even low because I'm still not convinced that I have hypothyroidism. I'm really just not. Uh, so I don't want to go back on Synthroid. If there's maybe an, an alternative medicine I can take, I guess I'd prefer that. But it was Thursday. and fr- I actually left work early on Friday because I was so paranoid. I ended up seeing a, a cardiac specialist, one of my friend's doctors is a um, a heart doctor and he squeezed me into his schedule it's because I was so paranoid.
1: <laughs> hmm. It was just
0: the weirdest thing.
1: I, I don't know anything about endocrinology outside of diabetes, but I've heard, I mean, I've worked yeah. in medicine long enough, that treating hyper and hypothyroidism is like the easiest thing ever. Yeah, I don't know.
0: It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be as simple as take this Synthroid and you'll be good to go. It's just a hormone.
1: Yeah. but I'm, see, I'm then, confused where the ambiguity, like, I don't know diagnostic criteria if it's. If, I feel like it's not just a TSH; like it has to be a T four too. Well, exactly.
0: Um, so I guess a lot of doctors just they they look at the TSH, and if it's high, most of the time that indicates that you are hypothyroid. So okay. if your TSH is high, generally that means your your thyroid is low. If your TSH is low, generally that means your thyroid is high. So mine was high, so then my thyroid supposedly is low, but because I don't have any symptoms of hypothyroidism and because he initially thought I had hyperthyroidism, I would have thought he would have done more testing before just automatically putting me on Synthroid. Mm. And mm-hmm. so I'm thinking to myself, well, what if I really have hyperthyroidism? Because there are there are conditions where your TSH is high, but your thyroid is also high. So then I started to get like paranoid that I was taking this extra... Extra thyroid hormone, but in reality, I don't need it. My thyroid's already too high. But yeah, so I started to get super paranoid about it. I don't know. It, I'm probably going into way too much
1: detail right I now. I feel like but, between your A1C and your thyroid and your lack of uh, sleep and your your period and your sleepless nights, you're falling apart. You're falling I apart. I know.
0: i I'm, like, I'm not even thirty-seven yet. I've got two weeks. So yeah. Oh my god. All right. So
1: that's really. Wait, all I have I got. one really um, quick story because you said thirty-seven and because it's he true. listens to the podcast so this guy at hockey last night he was like oh yeah my mom saw the pictures that you posted from the tournament and she said you're really cute and is, like made some mention about like we should date or something and he was like mom she's in her late 30s and married and has kids and i was like he's telling me the story and i'm like whoa late 30s i said how old do you think i am and he was like <laughs> like 37 and i was like no dude i'm 34 and he was like it's not that big of a difference it's the same thing i'm like it really no, isn't it is a big difference. Late 30s thir- no, not. <laughs> it is. Hey, oh, so what are you saying? I'm that much older than you. Okay, I got carded this weekend. Just let just oh. let me have my moment, okay, Gina? I was like, I'm not <laughs> in my late 30s yet, okay? Um.
0: <laughs> I know. Anyway, no matter what, if anyone ever guesses my age more than it is, even if it's by a year, I get I am totally offended. So I I get it.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was but,
0: I, I guess but I'm you see a little sense. <laughs> I mean, I almost have
1: a I almost have an advanced maternal age uterus. It's just getting a little it's getting a little real for me.
0: No, you do. Oh no, no, you're you're 34. That's right. I keep thinking 35. Yes. 30. Oops. I just I did the same thing. I'm almost <laughs> over
1: the hill, you know? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm almost over the hill. No, because 50 is right. over the hill. Okay, we digress. Sorry.
0: Anyway. <laughs> All right. So just a little introduction for our topic. And I'm I took this little blurb straight from the Hayes Community website. Hayes standing for Health at Every Size, which is our topic for today. Um, And I'll, again, put the link in our show notes. So we've lost the war on obesity. Fighting fat hasn't made the fat go away. And being thinner, even if we knew how to successfully accomplish it, will not necessarily make us healthier or happier. The war on obesity has taken its toll. Extensive collateral damage has resulted. Food and body preoccupation, self-hatred, eating disorders, discrimination, poor health, etc. Few of us are at peace with our bodies whether because we're fat or because we fear becoming fat. Health at Every Size is the new peace movement. It supports people of all sizes in addressing health directly by adopting healthy behaviors. It is an inclusive movement, recognizing that our social characteristics, such as our size, race, national origin, sexuality, gender, disability, and or other attributes, are assets and acknowledges and challenges the structural and systemic forces that impinge on living well. Uh, So really, we decided to focus on the topic of health at every size because it is February, which is the month of love. And most of the time in February, we think of love in terms of romance with a partner or spouse. But arguably, the most important love is that which we should have for our bodies. So sadly, diet culture has pushed many of us away from feeling great about the skin we are in. Today we are interviewing Claire Tuning, who is a promoter of intuitive eating and one of the growing number of dietitians and healthcare professionals who uses a non-diet and weight-inclusive approach in her counseling, and we are very excited to introduce you to Claire Tuning. So we've got Claire Tuning with us today, who is a registered dietitian nutritionist, and just for our listeners, in case they're wondering where we found this lovely lady, she was one <laughs> of my interns. And we do have a lot of dietitians who listen to this podcast. So most dietitians, I would assume, take an intern at some point in their career. So everyone will know what I'm talking about when I say that every once in a while you have an intern that you just are really sad to let go. You know that, they're, that their internship is going to end and they're not going to be with you anymore. Well, I've probably had maybe three of those interns in my time as a dietitian, and Claire was certainly one of them. In fact, I believe we tried to hire her, but she (laughs) politely declined. (laughs) And now she is in Virginia doing her own thing and thriving. So Claire, we are so happy to have you on the podcast.
2: Well, thank you all so much for having me. Uh, thank you, Gina, for the kind words. I'm happy to know that I was an intern. that wasn't a headache for you. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine maybe maybe you've had your fair share of those, but I'm really excited to be here talking about um, a topic with both of you all that I'm super passionate about. And I believe you said maybe you've touched a little bit on it before, but not super in-depth. So I'm really excited to be here and happy to have the opportunity.
1: Yeah, thanks for being here, Claire.
0: So we're just going to kind of bounce back and forth with our, with our questions. But obviously, you know, if there's any, if you, if there's anything that you think we're missing as far as questions, Claire, you just add whatever else you want. And I'm sure we'll kind of ad lib as we tend to do when we interview guests for the podcast. So,
1: okay. Okay. So Claire, if you could give us a brief overview of your background and what got you interested in intuitive eating and especially the Hays movement, I think that's a great place to start.
2: Yeah, I think that's a a wonderful question. And I love, I feel like any dietitian loves sharing a little bit about their story, how they got to where they are today. Um, And my story starts very long ago. Um, I always joke that I was kind of one of those kids who knew what she wanted to do from a very young age. Kind of like one of those weird ages where I was like 11, 12. I was like, I want to be a dietitian, And people were like, how do you even know that word? Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. But I, I, I grew up with a really positive relationship with food. I grew up with a lot of privileges around, you know, we always had food. Food was fun. My dad was a wonderful cook. He still is a wonderful cook. So I grew up just as having this really wonderful and for lack of a better word, intuitive relationship with food where I knew what foods were satisfying to me. I like to explore foods. I know you guys talk to a lot of moms and you guys are both moms yourself. So I'm sure you've been able to kind of see that in your own children, how kids are just like the best intuitive eaters. Um, So I got a little bit older and into high school and eventually into college, again, knowing that I wanted to be a dietitian to help people find that same connection and love for food that I had. But ironically, it was throughout my college years where I started to learn more about you know nutrition and the science behind it that my own relationship with food took a little bit of a turn and it got a lot more not positive, to put it very not eloquently. Um, I kind of felt like the more information that I had... Uh, The more air quote control I felt like I needed, the more that I felt like I had to be the perfect eater, putting major air quotes around that. But in order to be respected as a professional and as, you know, someone who was going to help people with their nutrition, I thought that I had to be the perfect eater. So you can imagine, you know, the, the pressure that that added to my own relationship with food. And I started realizing, thankfully, pretty quickly throughout the latter half of my undergrad career, that, you know, this is not why I got into the field. You know, I got into the field because I loved food and because I wanted to help people cultivate that same connection with it. But ironically, here I am not feeling that way anymore. So it was a a very positive turn of events. I was actually in the library one winter break towards the end of my schooling. And naturally (laughs) I gravitated towards the, the fitness and nutrition shelves. I think maybe you all can resonate with that, but I went and I found this book. Ironically, it was sticking out a little bit farther on the shelf than the other books. It was red and blue on the cover. So of course I picked it up and what did I have in my hand? I had The intuitive eating book. So I remember thinking to myself, oh my goodness, well, this might be a decent read. (laughs) So I pulled it off the shelf, I checked it out from the library, and I spent um, the next couple of weeks devouring, pun intended, every piece of content from this book. And I realized, oh my goodness. This gives me words. This gives me a framework to that relationship with food that I naturally had as a kid. And there's actually studies <laughs> behind this. You know, there's a mm-hmm. framework, there's a way to help people through this approach that is non diet focused, that is health at every size aligned, as we'll talk about. And it has these well defined 10 principles that. no, I wasn't really taught them in school. So I kind of felt like I had discovered this whole new world that I had yet to learn about. So from that point forward, there was kind of like my life before that day at the library and my life after. (laughs) Um, So from that moment forward, I have been Going into intuitive eating, you know, working towards the certification, you know, I have my RD now, and I work with my clients through a 100% intuitive eating, health at every size aligned approach. So that's kind of what got me to where I am today, and I'm still learning every single day, but uh, happy to be here now.
0: I love it. That's so great, Claire. I I don't even think that when you were my intern that we really. Talked that much about this, and I'm sad. I'm sad I had you for probably six weeks, and we just didn't. I don't know. We were too focused on other boring things. How many years <laughs> ago did
1: you meet, just for reference? About I, two?
0: They, Oh, was it two years ago? Okay. Was so it? Was, was I pregnant with two, Cameron when you were my intern?
2: You, I believe, had just had him recently. Had him. I because I was with you in October of twenty. It was either seventeen or eighteen.
0: <laughs> Okay, so it must have been 2000, 2017. Um, OK, so he was about six months old at the time. Yeah. Okay. So it was about two years ago, yeah, exactly. And and I and I don't know if you noticed when Claire was talking, but she's very punny with a P <laughs> <laughs> and you'll notice that on her Instagram stories, which I love. Her videos, they're they're pretty pretty great, entertaining. All right, Claire. So health at every size is a topic we've only briefly discussed on this Mm -hmm. podcast. We haven't gotten into a whole lot of detail on that. So what does the Haze movement, Haze Health at Every Size, Mm -hmm. mean to you and how do you incorporate it into your practice?
2: Yeah, I I think it's a great question. And I love that you clarified what. Hate what the Hays acronym stands for because I find a lot of people coming to me saying like, "What is that?" (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. what is Hays? Because there are these you know four uppercase letters that we see all the time, and um, sometimes we fail to realize how much there is to it. So first and foremost, I like to say that Hays or Health at Every Size is actually a trademark term for the Association for Size Diversity and Health, which I actually did not know until um, a little bit more recently within this past year. So. Um, it is really a movement that even though it has health in the name, it's about way more than just health itself. So it's really rooted in many social justice principles, you know, talking about dignity and respect for all bodies, access to health care for all bodies. And most importantly here, I will say equally as importantly, just working to move away from the weight centric model of health care. And what I mean by that is the model of healthcare where, for example, someone goes in and they say, Oh my gosh, I'm having headaches all the time. And the doctor says, Oh, well, maybe you should lose weight, <laughs> right? So, mm-hmm. kind of equating every little health problem, even if it's not. In the slightest bit related to weight, we relate it back to weight and say, oh, well, if we just ate differently, moved more, you know, ate less, and we're all smaller, then our problems would be solved. So it's kind of getting away from that weight centric paradigm and really looking at health for all that it is, right? This multi dimensional thing that is influenced by much more than just what we eat. Or what we donate or how we move. So that's kind of how I define um, health at every size. And I mentioned a couple of moments ago that it had those five well defined principles. And if I can be good on the spot here and remember them, I think it will service our conversation well to just kind of know what those are. Um, so the first one is weight inclusivity. And then we're talking about health enhancement, respectful care. Oh, what's the fourth one? Uh, eating for well-being and then life enhancing movement. So when you're kind of asking, well, OK, what is this? And also, Claire, how do you incorporate it into your practice? Well, it's really kind of focusing on those five principles, right? How can we enhance our health? How can we treat you know every individual that walks in our door or metaphorically speaking for me? Because I work online. So walks into my online space. How can I treat them with respect? You know, how can we talk about eating in a way that enhances our sense of well-being and, you know, eating for self-care as well as nourishment. And also, how can we find a way to move that feels good in our bodies that isn't tied or it isn't coupled to, well, I have to change my body as a result. So um, for me personally, in my online practice, um, this looks a little bit different than what it might look for someone who's working in like an actual physical space where they invite people in. Um, oftentimes, you know, health at every size aligned practitioners who do see people in person. Maybe they want to make sure that their office spaces are really accessible, meaning that they have seating that maybe doesn't have arms on the chairs so that people in all type size bodies can comfortably sit. You know, maybe again in that physical space, it would be having educational pamphlets or having, you know, um, educational materials around the doctor's office or the dietitian's office that represent all different types of bodies, you know, people living in smaller bodies, larger bodies, everything in between. Um, But really kind of what it looks like for me working on this virtual level, because I see all of my clients um, virtually online. It's very cool. I have a HIP compliant app (laughs) that allows me to do so. But, you know, what that looks like for me is really kind of getting a detailed history of what, you know, all of my clients' relationship with food and their weight has been up until this moment, right? So we say, Well, have you experienced weight cycling in your past or, you know, what was your relationship with food like growing up that might maybe help us to figure out what's going on now? Um, I really never ask for my clients to document their weight. Um, I actually encourage people to move away from the scale if that's something that they identify that they want to do. Um, So we're very much focused in on the well-being and the behaviors rather than the weight itself. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea of how I take those principles and work them in best I can to my everyday life and working with my clients as well.
1: I'm over here like head bobbing. I'm like, yep, yep. yep, Love it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And Claire, I don't know if you, I I don't know you like Gina, of course, um, but I'm I'm an overweight dietitian. And so this is something that is definitely um, close to my heart. Um, And so what would you say to somebody who comes into your virtual office and describes a need or desire to lose weight?
2: Yeah, that's a really great question because I honestly see this all the time. Um, I was actually having a conversation with a potential client earlier today and I, I love that people feel that they can be very open and honest and they say, Claire, you know, I I know weight loss is not what you do, but I still have this desire or that's still something that I think about often. And, you know, when I have someone who comes to me with that, that thought or that question, I really like to just validate that first and foremost. I say, you know, I. I do not have your lived experiences. You are the expert in your own body. I don't know what it's like to live your life. So if you're coming to me saying that I have a desire to change my body, my first and foremost responsibility is to validate and not try to fix or say, oh, blah, 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 but you don't have to, right? It's always just kind of honoring that lived experience of the client. Um, And then kind of depending on the client from there, I will let them know because, as I said, uh, many people, when they do come to me, they know that, you know, the active pursuit of weight loss is not something that I help people do. Um, But I kind of just gauge how they might feel. I say, well, how might you feel if we held space for conversations about weight, but what we focus on as a team was more focused on behavior? So how might you feel if we work on, you know, incorporating a variety of foods that you have access to and that you enjoy? Or, you know, how might you feel if at the end of this journey you did feel more in control around food or, you know, we talked about moving your body in a way that felt good for you so that, you know, you could sleep better at night or you could have more energy to play around with your kids. Um, Because kind of in parallel, something that I often like to ask is I say, okay. Well, I'll validate your experience, but, you know, what are you hoping that that weight loss might give you or what do you really want? Right. Because I'm sure something that you all can resonate with and working with clients yourself and having been in the field for longer than I have, um, often there is an underlying motivation or an underlying goal that goes much deeper than the weight itself. Um, So I've had people say to me, well, I want to have more energy to play with my kids, like I said a few moments ago, or, you know, I want to feel more confident or I want to think about food less or I want to feel more in control around food. You know, whatever their underlying motivation might be, I say those are wonderful and I love all of those, but we can also find ways to do that in a more sustainable manner that will add, you know, value and enjoyment and satisfaction to your life where we don't have to be focusing exactly on weight and on weight loss. And then again, depending on the individual, this might be a point in time in our conversation where I share a little bit about the research of what we know to be true about dieting. Um, and the sustainability of you know the active pursuit of weight loss in the long term, you know. But if it's someone who says, "Well, Claire, you know, I respect that, but I don't think we will be a good fit," I say, "Awesome, I can refer you to someone who might fit your needs better." Or if they say, "You know what? I love that, and I would love to focus on behaviors," then I say, "Well, here's how we do that." Um, so it's kind of just meeting them where they are at and showing them that you know your experiences are valid and there is another way. But I'm not here to try to convince you of anything.
0: Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And this next question, I feel like we are, you're, you've pretty much already answered it, but maybe for those who are listening who still don't understand the concept completely, if someone does come into your virtual office and they're <laughs> clearly overweight and perhaps maybe even obese or morbidly obese with a BMI at that level, what approach do you take and do you ever talk about weight? I, I I know the answer is no, but just
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I think to, to that last comment, um, I always tell my clients, you know, we hold space for this conversation and no one is ever gonna come to me and I say, Oh my gosh, you mentioned weight, we can't talk about that. Or, you sure. know, that's off limits here. So um I definitely make it known that we can talk about this, we can work through it. Um our main focus, however, will not be again that active pursuit of weight loss. But um kind of but before I, I answer that question fully, um something that I I love talking about, actually, because this is something that I was definitely not educated on or taught in my schooling at, at any point. And, you know, we might talk about this later that I hope that will be something that, you know, schooling can include in the future. But um, something that I, I like to focus on is really, I, I think, any health at every size aligned practitioner, whether they're a doctor or or a dietitian or a therapist, um, we, we really like to move away from the terms, you know, obese or overweight, because those terms inherently hold a lot of weight stigma, and they can produce a lot of shame around one's bodies. And, and what I find and what the research shows also is that, you know, when someone feels that high level of you know, weight stigma, either, you know, internally or coming from sources outside of themselves is they can actually delay medical care saying, well, you know, I don't want to go to my dietitian today, or I don't want to go to my doctor today because I know all they're going to talk about is my weight, right? Or, or how um, my body is bad. So um, what I like to, to say in reference to people who might be living in larger bodies and, you know, want to make these shifts for their health Um, That that's exactly what I say. I say, you know, someone living in a larger body or, you know, someone living in a smaller body, right? Using these very comparative terms. Um, and also the, the last thing that I will add, just kind of about the BMI chart, since you mentioned that you brought it up, this is something that I will shout it from the rooftops <laughs> every day because I think it's so important. Um, but the the cutoffs for those ranges you were talking about, like the quote unquote underweight, you know, normal weight, overweight, all of those categories, the cutoffs for them changed in 1998 which I find very fascinating because, you know, there is a lot of, you know, research and talk out there to show that the the BMI chart as a measure or an indicator of health is kind of a faulty one. But no one really ever talks about, hey, in 1998, which really isn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things, these cutoffs were changed so seemingly overnight many people went from being quote unquote normal weight to quote unquote overweight um, without their bodies ever changing. So that's just kind of something that I love to educate on and say, you know, we don't have to use these terms that someone might feel really negatively towards, you know, by me saying that. And we can kind of say, no, we'll we'll say someone living in a larger body. So um, what I say to those individuals is kind of like I mentioned earlier, you know, um, I'm not here to tell you what you must focus on, but I'm here to Advocate for you to say, "Hey, there is another way that might be more sustainable or supportive of all of your dimensions of health in the long run." Would you be interested in learning about that? And if the answer is yes, then it's again, okay, awesome. We will be a great fit. If the answer is no, then it's here. I can refer you to someone else who might suit your needs. You know, at this
0: point in time, a little bit better. Okay. I never, Nicole. Did you know that the BMI uh, cutoffs changed in 1998? I really did not know that.
1: I didn't. know. My favorite thing to reference about BMI is simply that morbidity and mortality are lowest between a BMI of 27 and 32. And yes. that can be very eye-opening for people. So I like ah. to say I'm going to live forever. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I got to work on that. I got to sneak in some humor here. Um, Wouldn't we all own that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so here, here's where kind of, my, this is the question that I am most most interested to learn about. And I think the yeah. reason Gina and I were, I don't want to say a little, we wanted to be sure that we brought an expert in um, be, because of this very question, at least me. um, And so here it is. Weight is listed as a risk factor for many diseases and conditions. How do you stray people away from focusing on weight when we know it plays an important res- role in disease prevention?
2: Yeah. and And I think that Question just there. (laughs) I I understand why it's a big one because when I first learned about intuitive eating or, you know, this health at every size approach that was less weight focused, that was initially what I thought of, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like this internal defense mechanism of, oh my gosh, everything I've ever been taught is about to be flipped on its head. I'm uncomfortable. I don't like this. How the heck do I handle it? Right. Um, So so it's taken a while for me to dive into resources and learn from people who have also gone through this kind of shift in their practice to, you know, learn how to navigate this, because, you know, the, the one critique that I hear most often of health at every size is, oh, so you, you know, want everyone to just eat whatever, do whatever and not be healthy. I'm like, well, (laughs) not not necessarily, Mm -hmm. Um, but they always kind of draw back to. But what about health? Right. Or about what about what we know to be true about certain diseases or whatever that might look like? So the, the thing that I like to dive into first is much of the research that we have on You know, diseases and health as it is to this day. I think something that gets talked about very little is who funds those um, and how that research is conducted, because I think there's a lot to be said for the motivations driving some of those studies to produce certain outcomes that might be favorable to this $72 billion diet industry, right? Um, But something else that I also kind of like to dive into here is I say, well, you know, there is this huge body of research that, like you said, um, links weight to certain health outcomes or certain health measures. But something that also doesn't get talked about a lot um, is that in those studies, they're not really measuring for long-term outcomes. And what I mean by that is Well, what happens to these individuals who maybe do see, air quote, success with weight loss? You know, what happens to them two to five years after that intervention? Or, you know, even in those studies, something that we're not measuring for is harm, right? You know, we can measure something like how much weight is lost and how, you know, blood lipid profiles change and how glucose levels change. But something that we really can't measure is what might the incidence of disordered eating or eating disorders be? two to five years later, maybe even 10 years later. Right. So I think it's very easy to look at these studies and say, well, you know, weight is very important. We must focus on it. Um, But I think there's much more to be said for um, the bigger picture beyond what we see in those studies. So um, what I also kind of like to, to focus on in the same breath is there is a body of research that exists and it's growing day by day, because I think people are kind of catching on to this idea that hey, diets don't work (laughs) in the long term or, you know, hey, maybe we've been missing something up until this point. Um, There is research to show now that 90 to 95 percent of dieting efforts. And what I mean by that are, you know, any protocols or any plans that are actively aim towards weight loss or, you know, the active pursuit of weight loss, we see that within two to five years of the actual intervention, um, many of those air quote results are not sticking around. So we see um, failure there. And we also see within that two to five year range, sometimes a bit longer that a third to two thirds of those individuals that did see that or quote, you know, success there in the beginning, they not only regain the weight that was lost, but oftentimes they will regain more weight um, than they lost in the beginning. And I like to point out here, I am not trying to imply, you know, weight loss is bad. Um, We need to prevent against that because I think that's the natural physiological and biological response to restriction, you know, if we're trying to manipulate our bodies to be smaller than we would genetically like them to be or than our genetics would like them to be. Um, but I think it's just very important to point out hey, you know, weight cycling is also a really big thing that I think we need to talk about. Of, you know, people who are listening might know this as yo yo dieting, right? You know, losing the weight and gaining it back and then losing it again and then maybe gaining more back and that it can also be really harmful to health not only physical health we're talking about heart health and you know the health of our joints and all of these things but also to our mental health and our emotional health and our social health right kind of when we think of all of these things that might come at the expense of us constantly kind of being in this negative relationship with food. So um, what I I like to round out with, this is something that I learned from Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani. She goes by Dr. G because I think people can't say her last name, which honestly I'm surprised I did not butcher it. Um, But she is a health at every size aligned physician. I believe she lives somewhere out on the West Coast. Um, And something that she said one time in a podcast that really, really struck me. And again, she's coming from the medical perspective, but she said something along the lines of and this is not an exact quote, so I don't want to butcher it, but um, it was along the lines of, you know, there is this body of research that exists to connect weight to certain health outcomes. And, you know, we can outright deny everything all the time everywhere without looking a bit deeper. However, when we know that the active pursuit of weight loss or dieting is also ineffective in the long run and it contributes more harm and more ill health outcomes, also, then, you know, maybe it's time to shift the talk to, well, what behaviors do we know to be health promoting and how can we focus more on those, right? Cessation of smoking, or you know, drinking alcohol in moderation, or being inclusive of a variety of nutrient-dense and fun foods, right? All of these things are moving our body in a way that feels good. So, how can we focus on those behaviors that we do know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, are helpful in our health promoting, um, rather than saying, "Well, it all depends on weight and your ability to lose it." Does that hopefully shed a little bit of light? Maybe I know that was a big question and a lot of words to respond, but hopefully that hit home somewhere.
1: It ah, was great I, and way better than I could have ever done.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're having you on this podcast, Claire. <laughs> I might've talked about this a few times. Like I said, always learning,
0: always growing, but I, I might've said those words a few times. <laughs> we it. can tell, it, it, but it doesn't sound rehearsed. Don't worry. Let me ask, did you hear her on the dietitians unplugged podcast?
2: No. You heard um, Dr. G. Oh
0: yeah. Dr. Dr. G. Um, it have might you heard
2: have that been... podcast? I've it's, heard it. It's,
0: it's, it's, you yes. you have? Okay. Okay. I mm-hmm. was just making sure. It it's a weight inclusive, um, haze focused podcast that I, I do really, really enjoy. It I I believe they're both dietitians on there. Yeah, not. they
2: are. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that podcast. I know she was on there and she was also on RD Real Talk, which is a podcast by Heather Kaplan. Yes. So uh, I yes. can't remember if that exact interview or kind of what I was talking about from her quote. I don't remember exactly which podcast interview it was from, but I heard her mm-hmm. say that and I was like, oh my goodness, that yeah. sums it up really
0: darn well. <laughs> yeah, I've heard her on a couple podcasts. Actually, I think both of the ones that you just mentioned. So. Yeah, she's she's pretty great. All right, so we're gonna dive into the next question here. And um, what do you think about this? So when you research Hayes healthcare providers, you really there is not much. Um, basically, the options are minimal. Do you see the numbers growing in the future? And also, how can you find a Hayes um, healthcare provider? Yes.
2: Yeah, so to the first part of your question, I definitely see this growing <laughs> and becoming more popular. And, and and I feel like when I use the word more popular, it kind of make it sounds like it's new or it's like this new trend on the block. Mm. Actually, it's been around for quite a long time, I believe, way longer than I have even been alive. Um, but and I think it's kind of coming into this point in time and this time in history where, like I said, a couple of moments ago, people are realizing, oh, my goodness, what have we been missing? Or, you know, there's this whole other side to health that maybe in this weight centric model we've been um, excluding or we haven't been focusing on enough. So I definitely see it growing. And it makes me excited. Um, I even get messages from people who are in nutrition school. I'm sure you guys get this all the time who are, are in the place that I was in not so long ago. And they say, you know, I'm so interested in this. Where do I learn more? Or I've even had some people tell me, oh my goodness, we're talking about this in my classes. I'm like, thank goodness. <laughs> like, yes, thank goodness that they, they're adding that in somewhere. But to, to answer the second part, of your question. I I know there is a place where you can go and find a list. I do not want to misspeak and send people to the wrong place, but where I'm 90 or 95% sure that there is some sort of list Um, if not somewhere on this website that will link you (laughs) to the place that does have the list. Um, A a few moments ago or at the beginning of our episode I mentioned that HAYS is a trademark term Um, so I believe if you go to the website of this organization which is the Association for Size, Diversity and Health, um, they will have so much more information than we would ever have the time to discuss about what HAYS is. Again, I believe they have a list of um, HAYS approved providers there. If they don't, I guarantee you there's a resource somewhere on there that will point you in that right direction. Um, but that's okay. kind of where I would send people as well as if You know, social media is a really great place. If you you go to someone's account or their website and they have "haze" with a little R mark next to it, I would like to believe that they are practicing in that haze aligned approach and that they would be a, a trustworthy source, especially if they're coming with a recommendation, a recommendation from someone who you might know.
0: Okay. Okay, great. I will, I will look into that. I know when I Googled it, I, I probably did end up getting to that website. So that was, I think you might be right there. Um, but I was lucky to know you, so I didn't have to do too much Googling. <laughs> um, at least for lucky podcast purposes. <laughs> oh, cool. Lucky us then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you kind of mentioned this as well. And I totally, working on a college campus, I feel like not only should, you know, haze and intuitive eating be part of the curriculum for dietitian to be. Dietitians to be, but I think it would also be beneficial just to be a class for college students in general, um, even if you're not necessarily studying to be a dietitian or a healthcare provider in any in any way. I just think it should be one of the what do they call it? Um, a uh, like a
2: required course or
0: something homework. like that, or a um, what are the extra classes that you can take, like geography and geology? Elective, oh, like a gen ed. Thank yeah. you. Electives, correct? Yeah, I, I think it should be an elective for all college um, students um, That they can choose to take or not. So, do you think that that would be in our future, whether it's for the dietetics curriculum or as an elective? How do you how do you see that panning out, or do you?
2: I sure hope so. <laughs> yeah. I know I, you, really, I, you
0: probably can't really answer this question, but I mean,
2: no, yeah, I, I, I sure hope so. And I really kind of going back to my own personal story. I feel like um, I know this from personal experience, and also from the experience of working with many of my clients. Um, who are future dietitians who say, hey, you know, I, I've gotten into this nutrition schooling and I feel like it has either contributed to my disordered relationship with food okay. or it's caused it or, you know, it's made it worse, whatever it might be. I think, it, you know, if we had some sort of just education in undergrad or maybe it's an elective, as you're talking about, where it's like, hey, here's this other approach that has been around for a long while. Here's what it means. Here's how you can use this in your work with clients. I think it would be helpful for not only kind of the ripple effect of the people that those students might engage with in the future, but it also would be really helpful for just helping our current and future dietitians to have their own positive relationship with food. Um, Because I think we can agree, you know, if, if the person doing the coaching or helping someone else to learn about food and nutrition, if they have their own, you know, really deeply rooted food and nutrition struggles that, you know, are kind of like at their worst, or, you know, they haven't quite done the work to, to mend or move in a positive direction that can um, cause a lot of harm. And it can be negative for, for more than just that dietitian or that future dietitian. So I really hope that in the future, it will be part of a required course or an elective, because I think People are kind of craving this content, and they love it if they kind of open up their minds for long enough to hear what it's about and learn more about it. But uh, I
0: think it might be a few more years still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with you. And and I again, I said this at the beginning. I know we have a lot of either dietitians or um, dietitians to be who listen to this podcast. I would say, if anything, just pick up pick up one of those intuitive eating books. I think there's probably like five different versions. There's a new one actually that just came out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it's coming out in March, I believe, but they're already doing, you know, pre-orders for it. Pick it up and read it or just, you know, I know even if you don't have time to read it, you know, read it, read a chapter a, a month, but I think all dietitians and healthcare professionals and really anyone to just read the book. I mean, it's a good, easy read that literally everyone can relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, just focusing on intuitive eating, not necessarily health at every size. Are there any good reads on health at every size, Claire?
2: Yeah so the there is a health at every size book um that one is kind of one of the the main ones that kind of introduced the movement you know here it is here's what it's about um, one that I love, and I actually am staring at now here on my shelf, so I don't butcher the name, um, but it's called Body Respect. It's by Linda Bacon and Lucy Ackermore. Um I believe it's been described to me as a little bit of a read that is more easily digestible, again, pun intended, um, than the original Health at Every Size book. But um, that's a really great one. And also one that I love that is intuitive eating focused, it ties in a little bit of Health at Every Size, is The Effet Diet. Um, And then the newest one that came out that does a really, really beautiful job of going into the history of diet culture and how, you know, all of that kind of influenced the the world that we live in today, uh, as far as, you know, food and body and nutrition is concerned. And she also ties in the the social justice roots of the Health at Every Size movement. It's called Anti-Diet. By Christy Harrison. It literally came out on Christmas Eve of like two weeks ago. So um, it, it's very new. And I'm actually in the midst of reading that one now, but I would definitely recommend those three to anyone who wants to learn more about health at every size, but also intuitive eating as well, because they are definitely
0: linked and tied there. Nice. Thank you. Yeah,
1: that's great. Did you have a question before mine, Gina?
0: Well, I had a question about the food products. Just real oh, quick. Yeah, I'm sorry. Something... No, it's okay. I, I just started noticing this. I have a lot of favorite food products that, that have names that have to do with weight control. Not because mm. that's what I'm looking for, but that just so happens to be something that I enjoy. For example, I love the Instant Quaker Weight Control Oats. They have more protein and generally mm-hmm. less sugar. They taste good. I love Kashi Goline, I love the Think Thin bars. And I will say, I've been looking for some of these products within the last, let's say, six months. And I've noticed that a lot of them are changing their names. For example, Mm. Quaker Weight Control no longer exists. It's now just called uh, high-protein, low-sugar Quaker Oats. Uh, Kashi Go Lean is no longer called Kashi Go Lean. It's just called Go. And then the Think Thin bars, which I I thought I was going crazy. I'm like, why can't I find these? They're just (laughs) called Think. So they're no longer called Think Thin, which I think is... I think is absolutely amazing, you know, because the messaging is just obviously very well. It, it's harmful for adults, but I think it's more harmful for kids. You know, I don't want yeah. my kids seeing that in my in my uh, pantry. So I, I'm very thankful that they changed the names because I do love these products. But basically, I, I've, so companies are taking action, even though as we very much know, the the weight centered um, market is incredibly lucrative still, and it probably will be for a long, long time. But have you noticed this, and and what do you think has spawned this change in companies changing their names? I mean, something. Are people being more vocal?
2: Yeah, something's fishy here. Something's <laughs> going on. Something's <laughs> happening. The tides are turning. No, I I, yeah. I find that to be really interesting, and to be completely honest, I myself um haven't haven't noticed that mostly because all of the the products that you mentioned, I. I don't believe I've ever tried. I've definitely tried things of those brands before, but not those Mm -hmm. specific lines. But it, it is very interesting that you say, yeah. all right, well, all of these names used to have something tied to body size or weight loss or weight management, weight control. Um, and now they are just totally chopping off the latter half of their names. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going crazy over here because I used to eat this product under one name and now it's something totally different. But, you know, really kind of with everything that we've talked about so far, it. I'm nodding my head as I'm listening to you because it makes total sense to me as to why they would be doing this because as I've mentioned, no health at every size and intuitive eating it's not new but it's definitely gaining more momentum and people are being more vocal and now that social media is a thing um it's easier yeah. to be vocal right and it's easier to be heard and I think these companies are probably catching a whiff of oh something's changing and people are becoming a little bit more woke to the fact that you know focusing solely on body size at the expense of the other dimensions of health might not actually be that healthy so how can we still keep making money even if their interests are changing right wow. i think something that is so little talked about in this world or in this sphere is uh, the money aspect of it right as i mentioned earlier the the diet industry alone here in the us in the U S is $72 billion. It is worth $72 billion. So I think maybe these bigger companies that have these messaging, these messages that are very much tied to weight and body size are thinking, well, you know, we still have to make our money. So how can we do it in a way that's maybe a little bit more sneaky, if that makes sense.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I hope it, I hope it continues. I think I think you're right. Social media is playing a large role. I've seen it more. I know I do follow a lot of the hashtags. So it's probably one of the reasons why I do see it more in my feed. Mm-hmm. But it's, even if I didn't, I feel like it would sneak its way into my feed somehow. And I'm sure these companies are seeing it through, you know, hashtag posts and um, mm-hmm. shares and just comments from, from you know, customers and consumers. So I, 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 hope, I hope it continues. And I would not be surprised if it, do, if it does. Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome.
1: Uh, Claire, can you tell us a bit about your podcast and maybe recommend some specific episodes for our listeners if they'd love to learn more? Um, And also let us know how our listeners can work with you if they're interested.
2: Most definitely. So yes, as you mentioned, I also have a podcast. I love podcasting. I think it's such a fun medium of content to produce because you get to have conversations with people for like funsies, but also make (laughs) content out of it. Um, So my podcast is called the Yours Truly podcast. It's very much a pun on my last name. (laughs) If you're wondering, Um, you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, pretty much anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Um, But the episodes that someone might want to look into if you're interested in learning more about this topic or, you know, how intuitive eating relates to a weight inclusive or a weight neutral approach. uh, I would recommend episode 59. Where I was talking, um, I, I believe that was with another friend of mine who was kind of in an interesting transition phase, saying, Well, I've been a dietitian practicing from a weight normative or a weight centric approach. And she was kind of turning the tides on her own business and talking about how it was hard and how it was challenging and how she was unlearning much of what she learned in her schooling. Um, episode 60 as well, I'm talking about what a non diet dietitian or a weight inclusive dietitian does. That is a solo episode with me. Me. And then episode 68. I have another Health at Every Size Aligned dietitian who shares a lot of really incredible information about the movement and how she also works to support it. So um, 59, 60, and 68. And then lastly, if you want to find me or connect with me, the number one place to do so is definitely Instagram. Um, I'm just there under my name at Claire Tuning. I also have a free private Facebook community. I post there daily. I do live videos on everything that we talked about today, plus some. Um, So if anyone would like to join us there, it is the Yours Truly Goal Slayers on Facebook. You can just type that in. And then the the last thing, if anyone wants to learn what working with me is like, you can simply visit my website, clairetuning.com, and visit the Work With Me tab. It has tons of information on the program you know, what we focus on. And you can also hear from some of my other clients. And then the application lives right there on that page.
1: I love your last name. It's so fitting for a dietitian. (laughs) I'm just like sitting here going, I'm so jealous (laughs) of your last name.
2: (laughs) It is the best name for a dietitian. I've had many people ask me, Claire, if, and you know, when you get married in the future, will you change it? And I
0: say, we'll see. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Probably not change that. Yeah.
0: Of course, I always said I wouldn't change my name. And then I had kids. And I was like, I cannot be that person who has a different name than Right?
1: children. Not yeah. that there's
0: anything wrong with that. I just did not want that for me, personally.
1: Your maiden name yeah. was bomb, though.
0: It really was. It really it was, was. For those of you who don't know, it was Casa Grande, like, big house. Did you know that,
1: Claire? Wow. I did
2: yeah. not know that. But that is an awesome, wow, that's an awesome maiden name.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All one word. I mean, it was, yeah,
1: killer. Meanwhile, I got to give up Nelson, you know,
0: <laughs> heartbreaker. <laughs> I didn't know that. I don't know how Nelson.
2: many
1: puns you could make off of
2: Nelson. Yeah. yeah. And I hate to break it to you, but
0: <laughs> wait, I honestly, Nicole never knew that. That I mean, is it's, new information. It is
1: not worth mentioning.
0: <laughs> Nicole Nelson.
1: I know. It's Okay, it it's
0: has so the alliterative
2: quality I, it's not there. Funny.
0: It's just What'd you say, Claire?
2: It has the alliteration there. I can appreciate uh, that. The N okay. and the N. Yeah. N n.
0: <laughs> That it, is
1: but it doesn't roll off your tongue, you know. It, it's just real. It's real. It's real clunky in the mouth, you know. It's it had to go.
0: Nicole Nelson. Yeah. Thank you, Mark, for Morrissey. It just that sounds a tad bit
1: better. It does.
0: It, it fits you. All right. So thank you so much, Claire. That was awesome. We are going to let you be a part of our favorite segment of this podcast, which is our Mom Wins in favorite new products or recipes. Okay. And Claire, I did you want to go first? I did warn you about this, so hopefully you've got something prepared.
2: I would love, since I want to be a little bit more familiar with how this rolls, I would love if maybe (laughs) one or both of you went and then I can like sandwich in if that's okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, okay, cool. I got one. I got one. Okay,
0: go ahead.
1: Um, you know, we were talking about our New Year's goals and my update on my vegetables and just being more creative with them was basically like in progress. So I'm I'm up in my game and we I took a head of cauliflower the other night and I threw it in a Ziploc bag drizzled some olive oil over it, and then drizzled some like buffalo sauce over it, and then a little bit of um, breadcrumbs, toss, 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 and threw it in the oven. I I, I got to write it out. I don't remember like as long as it took. Um, and the reason I did this was one, vegetables, and two, um, my youngest, Piper, at three, went out somewhat recently with um, one of the babysitters for, I don't know, to eat a meal. I don't remember the details, but she had ordered collie bites at a restaurant and she said that Piper just ate him up. And so basically Piper's favorite food is also ranch dressing. So I'm trying to figure out a way <laughs> okay. that we can, you know, just get a little bit of a, a healthier uh, take on that because she would just like lick it off her plate if she could. Um, but they turned out really, really good. So I'm going to turn that into a recipe, blog about it and include it in the show notes by the time we post this episode.
0: Okay. So currently my mouth is watering from thinking about hot Same. sauce. Anyone else? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask, did your kids... Did you say that they tried it? They, did they eat it? Um, Because I don't know that my kids would do the spicy hot sauce.
1: So I, I, okay. I'm embarrassed to say I don't recall. And I don't I mean, know I that I that, that, but really but care because I ate it all myself. Um,
0: of course, like naps I couldn't do oh, the cauliflower, but I know.
1: Yeah. Mark and I were like, oh, more for us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. I know. That does sound really, really good. And I always want to buy cauliflower for my kids because I think they would like it. But. Then I'm always like, well, if they don't like it, I'm not going to eat it. As much as I love, love cauliflower, I can only have probably two pieces before it's, you know, overkill for me. And it's sleeping in the basement for Gina.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, before you're farting nonstop for the next 48 hours. Yeah.
0: You got it. Yep. Um, Okay, so this is how it usually goes down, Claire. Nicole Mm -hmm. will say something that she makes, like a recipe, something really creative and cool. And then I have a favorite product because because I'm just not Nicole. Because
1: we are different people, Gina.
0: We are definitely different people, especially in the kitchen. Um, I do love to cook, but I also love a good um, processed food that is simple and easy for my children. And this is a lightly processed food, it is basic cheese ravioli. And I'm not talking the canned Chef Boyardee. Uh, this is actually from Aldi. They have just a simple frozen ravioli with cheese. It, it's, it's a very short ingredient list, very basic. You All you have to do is add it to a pan or to a micro, microwave-safe dish with some water and some of your own, you know, your choice of marinara sauce. Nuke it in the microwave for five minutes. My children devour this stuff. And it the nutritionals are actually quite decent, a good amount of, of uh, protein in there, which my kids, I feel like, don't get enough of. And they just love it. You know, we'll put a little bit of Parmesan cheese on there, a little bit of fresh pepper. They absolutely love it. And today, Cameron ate his with probably a whole cup of broccoli, which I am telling you. And Claire, I'll just update you on this kid, um, Uh uh, Cameron, (laughs) my second, who was, I guess, more like eight months when you started your internship, is the most choosy eater. Um, But I'm trying the intuitive eating approach to keep him an intuitive eater as, you know, as he Uh grows. I'm not pushing things on him, but... I, I feel like my patience is finally um, is is finally what's the word? Uh, my patience is finally what am I trying to say?
1: Like wearing thin or no, 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 it's, it's good. It, oh,
0: I can't. I'm, it's too late. I'm looking. You're more looking tolerant a of his chewiness. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not more tolerant. It's paying off. That's what I'm looking for. Oh, was looking to say. Okay. My my uh, patience is paying off because. Oh. He never eats a vegetable and today he literally ate a cup. But I also think it has to do with the fact that he is going to a different school Mm -hmm. and not to throw my sitter under the bus, but I'm pretty sure that she overfed him like the last two years that he's (laughs) been there because he never ate dinner. All of a sudden he's eating dinner and I'm like, why is that? And I think it's because he's not getting fed a bunch of snacks in the middle of the school day. So he comes home and he actually has an appetite to eat which is like hallelujah. So I ate a whole cup of uh, broccoli today. Uh, I was very proud. But yes, Aldi's frozen cheese ravioli, very simple meal. Um, that was my, my favorite product of the, of the week. What about you, Claire? Mm-hmm. You ready okay. to give your answer yet? I, I am. I am now that I know the
2: vibe of, <laughs> of this little segment here. Um, so mine it, it is a product, but I'm going to tell you a little bit just briefly how I've been using it in a way that I love. So recently I have invested in Instapot. Um, I got mm-hmm. it actually for Aiden, my boyfriend for Christmas, but it was definitely for the both of us. It was kind of one of those gifts that keeps on giving. And in, in the past couple of weeks uh, on the weekend, we have made a soup for the rest of the week and something that I didn't really realize about the instapot until recently is there's really nothing insta about it if I'm being honest um, <laughs> other than the fact that you know I guess it it you can set it and forget it and it does its thing but I didn't realize there was a warm-up time <laughs> in addition yes. to the cook time um, so that's something where it, it it was a little bit underwhelming as far as the expectations that I had but um, I love making a really quick and easy, simple soup. I'm a big Trader Joe's fan. And, you know, if you're looking to be faster in the kitchen and save a little bit of time, I love getting it's typically on the top shelf of their um, refrigerated veggies. It's a mirepoix. I think I'm saying that right. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Mix of the celery, onions and carrots that are already chopped up. It's you know a perfect serving to make a whole pot of soup. So I throw that in there. I like just a can of random beans. I'm typically a fan of the white beans. And then um, I love frozen spinach as well. There's typically so much more in that bag than in a bag of fresh. And then just, you know, you can do a chicken, a chicken stock, just anything really that you have in the fridge or in the cabinet. I love making that in the Instapot at the beginning of the week, especially as it is still cold outside. It's probably colder where you all live than where I live. Um just to kind of have that throughout the the rest of the week in a way that doesn't really require a lot of prep. It's not a ton of cleanup if you're kind of buying things already chopped. And I have just
0: been loving that. That sounds lovely. I wish my I wish my family I was gonna say my husband, but really my kids don't eat soup very well. I love soup. My kids will not eat it. I need to keep offering it to them. I I do realize this. Um, But my husband is just, you know, Definitely no soup, so I just very rarely make it, but that sounds so good. Um, of course, it was 55 degrees here today, so <laughs> doesn't feel like winter, so I'm not craving it as much as I normally would in January. Your tulips What's are coming like? up. <laughs> I know, seriously. I look outside and I'm like, there's no leaves on the tree, but yet it's almost 60 degrees. It was 67 degrees on Saturday.
1: That is yeah. insane. It,
0: it, it is. is. Is it similar uh, in, in Michigan, Nicole? It's right not, now? That
1: no, okay. not that warm. No, not that warm. In Virginia,
0: though, it's warmer. Oh, my gosh. This weekend, it was like
2: 72 degrees. Yeah. Oh my People gosh. were like playing beach volleyball shirtless. I'm like, what planet are we living on right now? Oh, my gosh. Wow. OK.
0: That's, I yeah. just quickly want to
1: say thank you for your Instapot um, feedback. Like, you're, yes. you're real. Because I have been on the fence about purchasing one. Because, and I just, I haven't pulled the trigger. And your story makes me glad that I haven't. Yeah, but you know, I will say. Go ahead,
2: Clara. Well, I was just going to say it's a it's a good tool to have, and I do enjoy it, and it does cook things very well. It just I feel like uh, the expectation that I had for it was not quite met because I was literally expecting it to make my food in like five minutes, but apparently (laughs) that is not how it
1: works. (laughs) (laughs) And it was going to like chop it and do all that too, right? Like it was going to plate it for me, like. I mean, that's what, that's what Pinterest makes it seem like. It's like, you need this thing. It basically makes dinner for you. And I'm like, okay, okay. Yep. Yep. I need it. And then I'm reading the recipes going, yeah, I mean, that doesn't seem to be the case at all whatsoever. So yeah, yeah.
0: I I definitely use my slow cooker more often than my, I don't even have the Instapot. I have a pressure cooker. It's the exact same thing. Um, but I definitely use my, my slow cooker more often, but when I do use my Instapot or my pressure cooker, I do really enjoy what is made. And it's, Sure, it's it, does, it doesn't it does take five minutes, but 20 minutes. And that's, mm-hmm. shh, I'm happy with that. All right, so we're going to go ahead and read a review. And this is from Brooke Miller from one of my favorite podcasts, which you were on, Claire, yes. the Diet Riot podcast. I was going to say, I know them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are pretty hilarious. They are an amazing intuitive eating, haze-inclusive type podcast. And they're just really funny and uh, just kind of a good uh, break, good Good way to kind of break up your day if you're, if you're bored at work or if you need something to do, um, doing some house cleaning, you can listen to our podcast and then follow it with a diet riot podcast. So they say, and then of course with, with Claire's, we have enjoying (laughs) your topics and guests. We really loved your guest on sleep training, which is must much needed for us right now because they both have two basically newborns and also the episode on CBD and cannabis living in Denver. This was super interesting for us. Thanks for sharing some interesting topics for fellow mom and RDs. So thank you so much for that. All right. So coming up on February 9th, we will be dishing about relationships. What challenges have we faced in our marriage? And what are are our strengths as a couple? And also a little about love languages. And I would say before you listen to that episode, I would highly recommend that you take the love languages uh, quiz just so you can kind of get a better understanding on what the love languages are. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitians Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. And if you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. And you don't even have to write anything just fill out the stars. right until next time be well and Claire thank you again so much for coming on our podcast
2: yes Yes. Claire, thank you so much for having me
0: all right bye bye
2: Bye. thank you for listening for the podcast
0: bye-bye